It's, uh, it's great to be here. Biz and I have been looking forward to coming, and um, for one reason or another, since the middle of last year, we haven't been able to come all that much. So we, um, we feel deep gratitude to, to be here today. And um, it has been a bit of a, a journey so far. We arrived in the middle of last year because my father wasn't well, and uh, he passed away. And ever since, we've been trying to get back to Nepal. And um, when we left Nepal, middle of last year, we knew that we only had another year and a half to go because we, um, my contract as a director runs out at, on the 1st of February 2022. So they started the search for a new director and they found a director which now has to be voted in. And um, so it means that in effect we have another less than a year to go before we come back to New Zealand again and uh, settle, unpack since, uh, because our stuff has been in storage since 2014. <laughs> Mr. Thomas helped me to put it in the garage and I still hope it is there. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then we, you know, we'll settle in and find a job and live happily ever after. Biz has got um, another six months of teaching ahead of her until the middle of, until the end of this year. And then she is relieved from her, or released from her teaching. At the moment she teaches Zoom, so every day at 2.15 she starts, and it is 8 o'clock in Nepal, and then she teaches until 9 or 10 or sometimes later. So that is us. And today we're going to hear from Karen. She's got a couple of small readings that fit into the reading, to the uh, passage that we have chosen and the topic that has been given to me. first reading is from 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 to 9. Dear friends, don't believe everyone who claims to have the Spirit of God. Test them all to find out if they really do come from God. Many false prophets have already gone (laughs) out into the world and you can know which ones come from God. His Spirit says that Jesus Christ had a truly human body. But when someone doesn't say this about Jesus, you know that person has a spirit that doesn't come from God and is an enemy of Christ. You knew that this enemy was coming into the world and now is already here. Children, you belong to God and you have defeated these enemies. God's spirit is in you and is more powerful than the one that is in the world. These enemies belong to this world and the world listens to them because they speak its language. We belong to God and everyone who knows God will listen to us, but the people who don't know God won't listen to us. That is how we can tell the spirit that speaks the truth from the one that tells lies. My dear friends, we must love each other. Love comes from God, and when we love each other, it shows that we have been given new life. We are now God's children, and we know him. God is love, and anyone who doesn't love others has never known him. God showed his love for us when he sent his only son into the world to give us life. And the second reading is from John 13, chapter 1. It was before Passover and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to return to the Father. He had always loved his followers in this world and he loved them to the very end. So the topic that we are looking at today is a topic that you have been looking at over the past weeks. That comes from Genesis 
And um, I was given the, the, the passage that says, cultural landscape of Nepal and how the Christian faith intersects and interacts with that um, cultural landscape of Nepal. And then secondly, how Christianity is the good news that Nepali people need to hear. So you are fortunate. Uh, which button do I have to press? The little arrow going that way. Okay. So this is Nepal. We all know Nepal from the mountains. And when you walk the Annapurna walk, which is five days, this is what you see. Mountains, flats, where flat sites where people use agricultural tools, and um, a wonderful, wonderful people, people from our church that um, we attend every week. But it is also a country with extreme poverty and hard work, and there is slave labor, like most probably this girl, and people that make bricks, and people that work in households, and people that are they are involved in prostitution. Farmers work extremely, so very, very hard, and women either look after kids and, and they work, or they look after kids and um, do more work. But then it is also a country where there are more temples than people and more gods than people. But we have a young and growing church. So this is Nepal. It is a landlocked land -locked country with China at the front and India at the east, the west and the south. And uh, Nepal is the size of the South Island and we have 31 million people. So it's pretty crowded. And out of our 31 million people, 80% of the people are Hindus, 10% are Buddhist, 5 belong to Islam, we have 3% that are Christian, and 2% that are animists, we call them others. So how did Christianity come to Nepal? And up until the, the 1950s, there was no Christian in Nepal. And the Qing dynasty had closed the borders 100 years earlier to keep the influence out. But in the 1950s, the king realized that he couldn't keep those borders closed. He needed to get ahead in the world. There was no... Uh, he, actually, the reason why he wanted to do it is that he liked fast cars. But there was no tar-sealed roads that he could drive his fast cars on. And he didn't have fast cars either. So he had to open the, the border to get his lovely fast cars in and to get tar sealing so he could drive around. And we still know exactly where he drove. He went in a round circle around the palace once the tar seal was settled around it. And that is where he would drive his fast car around. And all the people had to get off the road when he went around. So in the 1950s, he opened his, the, the borders and uh, he allowed the doctors, the nurses and teachers who were foreigners to come in because he knew that they needed to bring the country up to speed. But with the doctors, the nurses and the teachers came the Nepali Christians who had been waiting at the borders around at the south in India trying to get in but they were not allowed. 
So when these doctors, nurses and teachers came in, they built hospitals and schools. And the Nepali Christians did all the evangelism. So by the 1960s, there was this a little handful of Christians. But in the 70s and 80s, there was an explosive growth. But we still don't know how many Christians there are, but we do believe that there are around 3 million of them out of the 31 million. So how did this explosive growth happen? And this growth happened because in the same way as it happened in the New Testament. And when we read the Gospels and when we read the book of Acts, we see that the risen Lord is doing what he did in Palestine 2,000 years ago. As you have been able to see from some of these pictures, it is a poor country. And the pastors come from poor villages in the mountains and the hills of Nepal. And daily life for them is a struggle. Several or many of them can't read, but their faith is alive. So how is the Christian, is the Nepali culture informed and formed by Hinduism and Buddhism? Later on I will tell you a couple of stories about, uh, about how Buddhist and Hindu people became Christian. Their religion wasn't philosophical and their religion wasn't thought out as much as we see here in the West. It was a religion that was daily lived out in the homes of the villages and in the cities. And as such, their religion dealt with the normal things of life, like food and shelter and health and welfare. And, and that meant that they also had to deal with the spirit world. And the spirit world is very real in Nepal. And it affects us all, actually, regardless whether we think it exists or not. The spirit world exists also here among us in New Zealand. So, to work with the spirit world, Hindus and Buddhists have witch doctors and they have shamans and lamas who are specialized in how to deal with these spirits, these gods, how to deal with sickness and the forces of nature. But we know, you and I know, that Jesus has defeated all these on the cross. Our reading this morning from Karen says that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And that is very important for us to know that the one who is in us by his Holy Spirit is greater than the one who is in the world. We know that Jesus is in a unique position to work with these forces, these spiritual forces, because Jesus is grace, Jesus is love, and Jesus also is power. And this is also made clear in the New Testament where we read that God is Lord of lords and King of kings. And from our reading, this is how God showed his love among us. 
that he sent his one and only Son to the world, that we might live through him. And so we have to remember, as the people in Nepal have to remember, that none of the gods or the goddesses, the spirits, the powers that we know, the powers that are to be avoided or feared or worshipped, can withstand or compare to the mighty name of Jesus. People in Nepal, they, whether they are Christian, or whether they are Buddhist or Hindu, they believe in karma and reincarnation. So they live under a heavy load of wrongs that has heaped upon them through their guilt, but also through their previous lives. They live in a constant fear that what they do is not enough to make amends or atonement in their life. And so they believe that if they don't do good to a certain level, they will return not as a human, but perhaps as something that is below a human, an animal. And then which animal will they belong to? So they always try to do good, but they never know if that was good. And Biz and I are amazed that when we see the, that even in this day with COVID, they, the, the people in India and the people in Nepal are going to Hindu festivals. And we saw some pictures not long ago where thousands of people come together and, and dance and, and try to do good and try to appease the God. And we think, aren't you absolutely out of your mind? Don't you think that COVID will you know, spread like wildfire among you and yes they may know that but they believe that if they don't go they will end up as a lower animal than if they do go but if they do go they will die most probably because the health facilities are almost non-existent and um, they will get COVID there is hardly any oxygen there are no machines to keep them alive but they believe that at least is better than not going and ending up in a caste below you or as an animal. And so salvation is this endless cycle of reincarnation. And for them there is no way to know what they are saved to or how they can be saved. They hope that one day they will become a Brahmin, which is the priestly caste, the top caste of, of the pecking order that starts with the Dalits, the people that are completely untouchables, and it ends up on the top with Brahmins. And once they are a Brahmin, they know that you know, not much can happen to them because the next step will be Nirvana, hopefully. So when the Nepali people see other people suffering, people that are, is an orphan left on the street, or somebody who is sold off in slave labor, when they see a crippled person, or a lower caste person, or even somebody with COVID, they feel it is that person's duty to go through the suffering because they deserve it for one reason or another. They must have done something wrong to get to this stage. So let them suffer and then by suffering they will do good, hopefully, and then get into a better state, a better caste, a step up again. 
from where they are. So we are not allowed to help them in their suffering because that would you know, stop them from you know, attaining a better caste. But the thing is that once the Nepali or once an Indian person realizes and understands that if we confess our sins that God is faithful and just and he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from, our, from all wrong. Once they understand and, and hear that, that karma has no power over them, that they can have a relationship with Christ and with an all-loving God, and that that relationship will last forever into eternity, then they are thunderstruck. They want a God that is loving and eternal and gracious because they've been living under all these goddesses and powers and that all want to do harm to them. They want this assurance of salvation. And then for them, they need the courage to take that step. A step that is very costly because once they become a Christian, they say no to their families, to their culture, to the life that they have lived. And they are cast out from whatever they know into something that is completely different. Fortunately, we know that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And that the gospel came by Jesus doing what he always does. The gospel in Nepal goes around because the sick people are healed. Demons are cast out. Sinners are forgiven. Families are reconciled. Love and compassion is shown. And there is a hope to, of eternal life given to them. These are all Christ's work that work through, they, they are instruments of the people. But that is also for, good for us to know that in all our trials and tribulations, in all our sorrows and sadness, in all our mistakes and blunders, in all our times when we walk away and are selfish. As Moses told Joshua, the Lord will always be with us. He will always go before us. He will never leave or forsake us. And that knowledge that God will never leave or forsake us is with the believers in Nepal because they are persecuted. When the border opened in the 1950s, the king said, you can come in, foreigners, but you're not allowed to evangelize. And fortunately, the Christians went with them, the Nepali people. So they kept on doing evangelism. And now these days there is a law that if somebody becomes a Christian, they can say to the person who helped that person come to Christ that because of... Okay, 
because of Clive. Clive talks to me. I'm a, I'm a Hindu and Clive is a Christian. And Clive leads me to Christ. So for the rest of my life, I can go back to the police and say, Clive made me a Christian. I don't like it anymore. Please throw him into prison. And that is still possible. For the rest of my life, I can come back to you and accuse you for that. And the police will then throw you into prison for five years. And if you're a foreigner, after five years, you will be deported, which is perhaps the best thing that could happen to you. Because life in a prison is not very nice. So let me give you three stories to show you how in our lifetime we've heard these stories and we've lived with these people that have gone through these stories, some of them. And it is interesting to see how strong the Nepali Christians are and how strong they are to resist the persecution that is around them. So God is working miracles and people are coming to him. There was a village. There were 106 families living in that village. And there was a man called Mr. Pemdabab. And he was the first in the village to become a Christian. And that happened in 1984, way before we were there. And it happened like this. His wife became sick. So when you get sick, and it is more than a flu, you go to the shaman, to the witch doctor, to the lama, and you ask these holy men, you know, what do I need to get rid of my sickness? What have I done in the past? And how can I atone it? How can I get out of my sickness again? So these two people, the Hindu shaman and the Buddhist lama, they know how to work with spells and with rituals, and they fell, fall into trances. Because they too are possessed by spirits, of course. And as they were doing that, nothing happened. His wife still was sick. So then he was told to start offering gods to, uh, offering uh, goats to um, human spirits of people that have died. And that is what he did. He sacrificed. What does it say? Six goats, which for a villager is almost his whole flock. But nothing happened. So then, after all that time, he heard about a Christian that lived in the next village, which is often over the hill, down the valley, and a bit further on. So he carried his wife over the hill and found a Christian who prayed for his wife and got better straight away. He prayed in the name of Jesus, and she was instantly healed. So he decided that there and then to become a Christian as well, and to give up his Buddhist religion, and not to rely on shamans and lamas anymore. And when he came back to the village, the people knew that he was different. They could see in him that he had changed. And um, so they all wanted to know what was going on. And because he was different from 106 other families, they tried to kick him out of the, drive him out of the village, but that didn't work. And then they tore his clothes and beat him up, demanding that he deny Jesus Christ and return to their original religion. But he refused to deny it. And then they said they would kill him 
but nothing, no one had enough courage to do that. And then they said, the police will come and they will pick you up and throw you in prison. But he kept praying and no police turned up. And then the, the villagers took all his food and gave him human feces and urine to eat and drink. They threatened to burn down his house, but he continued to pray. Finally, some of the people that were doing this persecution became very sick. So they went to the shaman and to the lama. And they made sacrifices and the required payments, but nothing happened. And then Pembadap asked, was asked to pray for them. So Pembadap, who had a small faith, prayed for these people to be healed. And they were healed. And they decided to follow Jesus. And then slowly by slowly, as word got out, slowly by slowly, as more healings happened and more faith, more power of God was evident. And through the faithfulness of these two, three, four believers, the whole village, all 106 families are now Christian. And that really touches me because this first man has gone through so much rubbish. The second, the third, all also, they were persecuted, but they stood firm. And God, in his goodness, worked miracles and people came to him. Secondly, God is showing love and compassion and people are coming to him. And this is a story that we are part of, have been part of. Just a year ago, in September last year, we heard about workers in the Buddhist area in the north of our city, Kathmandu. We heard that they were without work and without food because of the COVID lockdown. So Jonah, one of our workers, went to check out what was happening there. And he met a local pastor before he went into the factory area. And besides the factories are some we call them hovels. They are not really, you know, houses. And that is where those 35 families lived who worked in the factory. So the pastor and Jonah decided that they were going to feed for a while these 35 families and the family of the, of the owner of the carpet factory because he too was without money. So we as a, a group of people, as a mission, we got money together and we gave it to Jonah, who bought rice and lentils, the staple food of the people. And the pastor said a prayer, and Jonah shared the gospel. And a week later, the pastor and Jonah went back to the carpet factory, and they found a small group of people together, wanting to know more about the Christian life. I think there were five at that time. And so... Jonah and the pastor prayed together and they shared their faith. And the pastor decided to take those five people and to meet with them every day. And to teach them a little bit about the Christian faith, do discipleship and prayer. And slowly this group of five grew. And now 35 are meeting day in, day out to pray and read the Bible. And 10 people have been baptized and others are waiting to be baptized. And now they're looking for a space 
so that they can meet together. Because there's a new law, again, in uh, Nepal that says that if you want to have a religious meeting, you can't do it in a, in a bridge club. You can only do it in a building that is set aside as a religious building, which is another hurdle that the Christians have to overcome. As I said before, showing love and compassion is unusual in Buddhism and Hinduism because it will hinder that person to you know, become a better person. Let the person suffer because that is good for them, is what they believe. But these five people who became 35 at the moment have taken the step to get out of their misery, but also to take a step out of their religion, out of their culture, to become a Christian so that they can have a relationship with God our Father. Thirdly, God transforms people's lives and people are coming to him. We know Bisrak. At the moment he is 30 years old, but when he was a little boy, he, he lived in a village in the countryside and he was a real boy, you know, boys. They do what they like, they do when they like it, and they know what they want and how they want it, and so they are a, a law unto themselves. Sometimes girls are of well actually. But when he was young, his father left him, and so mum had to look after the farm and look after all these unruly kids that she had, and this was too much for her. So Bisrak, which is quite normal in, in Asian countries and in Africa, they are booted out and, you know, farmed out with the rest of your family. And so that's what happened. Bisrak went to live with Nana Betty, who was, you know, his mom's sister. And Nana Betty was married to Renzi, and they already had children, but, you know, what is one more? And so that was added to them. Actually, it is a very Maori concept, actually, isn't it? But many years before, Renzi was a Hindu boy living in the, the village somewhere in the, the hills. And a missionary Bible translator came who wanted to translate, you know, the language of his tribe, of his caste. And so as she was translating the, the Bible, she needed help from people in the village. So Rinzi and his brother were one of the helpers. And as they got to know the Bible, as they were translating... Guess what happened? They became Christians. So Rinzi became a Christian and became a pastor of a little church. So Bisrak lived with Pastor Rinzi and Nana Betty. And he went to school and fitted into the family. He was still a boy and was in trouble often. And Rinzi would give him a good hiding as, you know, they do in, in certain cultures. But that didn't change his behavior. But Pastor Rinzi and, um, and Nana Betty became known for their hospitality and their Christian faith and generosity. And so more and more kids from the countryside came to live with him. And now he's got 30-plus kids living in his house, and he needed a bigger house. So he's done that. He even bought a school. And he's now looking after, you know, great idea. We love him dearly. So, 
Bismarck was still in his early teens, and he saw that, you know, Nana Betty and Pastor Rinzi lived a different life, and also kids that he lived with became different kids. And so he decided to become a believer as well. And um, his life changed. He started to read his Bible and do discipleship. And he became a strong Christian. And in his early 20s, he went to Bible college. And now he's got a Master's of Divinity. And he has started his own church, like you, five years ago. But as Bisrak's life changed, his mother came to hear of it. And she wanted to know more how this unruly boy all of a sudden had become a good boy. So she talked with Nana Betty and she became a Christian as well. And then his cousins and then his extended family. So when we read in the Bible that um, um, in, the, in the Gospels that you know, a family becomes, the jailer's family becomes a Christian, we find that quite normal because that is how Christianity spreads in Nepal and in Asian countries. And Besrek is an evangelist himself. He shared his faith with somebody from the lower caste, which you never do, of course, because they are lower caste. And his friend's name was Basan. And now Basan is a strong Christian, and his, he evangelized his family. And so it continues on and on and on. So through the three stories that I've told you, we see that in Nepal, Christianity grows because God works in miraculous ways. That believers show love and compassion, which is so foreign from the Hindu and the Buddhist uh, concept. And also through transformed lives, as believers show others who Christ is. But underneath of it all, we know that the Christians can trust God. They trust Him for, from, for what is to come, for their daily needs every day, for their health and for their strength. They stand firm under persecution. Threats are made against them, but they don't waver. So, how did the grace, the power, and the love of God break through? It became because of the miraculous ways God is working. The miraculous ways God is showing, is, is being shown in the love and the changed lives of the people. And because people are helping others. And I believe that is the good news for every culture, for even for New Zealand culture as well. That people are moved by love and grace of God when they see changed lives in you and in me, and when they also see that as we help other people, people want to know why we are doing it, and they want to know more. It is a challenge to us, but it is a way we need to live today. Amen.